the In the Pattern podcast. Make left traffic clear for the option. I'm John. I'm Chris. And I'm Mark. And we are the In the Pattern Podcast. Welcome to episode 12 of the In the Pattern Podcast. You're not so consistent podcast anyways might be coming at you monthly or every couple of weeks or whenever someone pesters us enough on twitter to get a new one out there too uh this week's kind of special though we've acquired another podcaster with us and he is also a student uh student pilot but uh what we'd call an advanced student pilot and uh so i'd like to send it over to our new podcast member brad kane (laughs) From the Twin Cities area, and he is a instrument student pilot. And how's that going, Brad? Uh, so far, so good. It's uh, it's a lot to learn. Um, there's it's a whole new set of charts and a whole new set of procedures and everything that I'm trying to get uh, pounded into my head so that uh, when I when I start flying the uh, the procedures, I, I have a chance of getting them right. Um, uh, I, th- I think the flying part of it is going to be challenging enough, just the the uh, much tighter control that you have to have over the aircraft. But uh, um, just the book work is a lot right now. I can imagine. They say it's, out of all of them, probably the hardest rating to get. I hope that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're going any further, right? Right, because someday I'd like to get my commercial and uh, eventually CFI, but, yeah. but that's going to be quite a ways out. Yeah. I've, I've actually heard that the commercial is the easiest of, of the ratings to get. That's what I've heard, too. So, yeah, it looks like it's the most fun. So after after your uh, private uh, ticket, there's no more uh, solos. Everything's done with a uh, an instructor. Uh, not necessarily. Actually, the, the instrument only requires 15 hours out of the 40 of simulated instrument time have to be with a CFI. And the other uh, 25 hours, you can use a safety pilot who just has to be a private pilot or better. Oh, and that counts towards your uh, rating then, huh? Right. As long as it's simulated instrument time uh, and, you know, as long as by the time you get to the to the DPE, you actually know what you're talking about and are able to execute all the procedures and, and satisfy him that you know what you need to know, um, you can do the, the balance of your time with a safety pilot and... You can also do it with a CFI and a simulator, so you don't actually have to be in the air uh, for all of the 40 hours either. Okay. Yeah. Does it have to be a uh, like a CAT certified sim, or and maybe that's the wrong level of terminology? But uh, I know that there's some that are that have to be FAA certified, or can it just be, you know, they've got uh, Microsoft hooked up. No, it, it needs to be a certified simulator, um, and I don't actually I don't know the, the ins and outs of how they get certified, but the, it is an FAA certification. Um, I've seen some that are are just PC based with uh, a set of switches and dials and a separate terminal for the instructor to set up uh, whatever it is that that he wants to simulate. 
Uh, and I actually had a chance to fly uh, an SR-22 simulator, um, which is a full motion simulator with, uh, you know, the full display uh, running X-Plane. And the whole thing would rotate and pitch and it had the handle for the caps release and the whole the whole deal. That's cool. Um, That's funny. Did you pull the shoot? Yeah, I didn't pull the shoot. Another guy that I was with, uh, they put him into uh, flying into a thunderstorm and he immediately went inverted and had to pull the shoot. <laughs> Um, well, pulling the chute inverted is not going to do you much good, though. <laughs> well, it worked out for him. Yeah. That's funny you mentioned that because um, if you guys are familiar with Mossy. Yeah. yeah. You guys know Mossy. Yeah. You've probably seen some of his videos. Uh, I saw a video of, of him and somebody else, uh, um, or he was videoing somebody in that SR-22 sim, and they uh, pulled the pulled the chute. Uh, but full motion, like you were saying, Brad, pretty cool thing. Yeah, it's a great way to uh, to get yourself into situations that you would never want to get into in a real airplane up in the sky. Um, you know, you can do a I, – I did a, a takeoff with 500 pounds over gross weight uh, out of an 8,000-foot runway with a 12,000-foot density altitude. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay, that's extreme. <laughs> Not not something you would ever want to try, but it, it you know it tells you just how important it is to to check your your performance metrics before you go to to launch. So so did you find the physics of it pretty uh pretty close to what you'd expect? It you know it's good enough <clears throat> that it it gives you a, a realistic enough sensation that you know on, on the one hand you know that you're in a simulator and you and, and you know you're not going to die. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, you know you're strapped into the thing and you can you can sort of imagine what it would be like if you were actually in the aircraft uh, in that situation in real life and how bad it would be. So it, it conveys it, it, you know, it conveys the idea of the scenario to you. Um, and, but you can still think and you can still process. Um, you're not, you know, kind of scared to death about what's going to happen next. Yeah, that, uh, that's got to help when you actually know in the back of your mind you're not going to get hurt and but in in the real situation all that stuff's hitting your hitting your brain too which is making it harder for you to think and concentrate and know exactly the procedures that it's going to take to get out of a certain situation yeah i heard somebody say the the phrase that you lose about 30 iq points when you sit down in the left seat and <laughs> i think that's probably <laughs> true um, and some of us don't have so many to spare uh, so. <laughs> You've been talking to my wife, I see. <laughs> hey, yeah. So, what kind of a uh, what kind of a plane are you going to use to do your instrument in? Uh, I actually, I just joined a club uh, up here in the cities uh, that has uh, it's called Club Cherokee. So you can kind of guess ah. uh, what, what kind of aircraft it's got, they've got. Uh, they've got Warriors, a Challenger, a couple of Archers, an Arrow. Uh, and a Cherokee six. Wow, nice. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty good array. Yeah. So I'll probably use one of one of the archers, as uh, it has a uh, a Garmin four thirty in it. Ah, it's like what I fly then. Yeah, although we don't use the air the air conditioning as much, but we do have an engine heater. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's for, or where the lever is for it. To be honest with you, <laughs> you just plug it in from the outside. Oh, that that thing. Okay, like like an APU. Kind of, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. They they have a rule. I don't understand it. They uh, they actually have a rule that you have to get permission before you can take them out if the temperature outside is below zero uh, Fahrenheit. And I'm kind of like, well, but that's like all of January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. John went through a little bit of that. This last nothing time. below zero. Oh no. Well, are we talking zero Fahrenheit? Are we talking zero Celsius? That Fahrenheit. Exactly. No. This is Fahrenheit. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then, then yeah, I never took it out below zero. My, my favorite was that day, John, that it took you like four or five hours to get home, and you're like two miles from work, and then you just park the car in some random parking lot oh. a, mile, a mile away and walk the last bit. I just, I just lost it. I was like, there's no way he's not home yet. Oh my gosh. You have no idea. <laughs> of course, the people. Snow? Did you guys get? I mean, how much does it take to, to gridlock? Well, not much here. <laughs> um, anything over over probably three inches will stop everyone. <laughs> um, it's uh, we probably had we probably had an inch on the ground when I left work, and then we had about eight to ten by the time I got home, which is actually how fast it was coming down. Wow, just um, bucket loads. Yeah, that's why I got stuck is because if I would have been able, not gotten stuck on the one road with everybody being idiots and getting stuck, um, I would have gotten home in time to beat the point where my car wouldn't make it. So only one more half a winter left of that. <laughs> that's horrendous. So that that sounds like a nice club, Brad. What's what's uh, what's the um, uh, dues and stuff or something like that with all those nice planes? How's that work out? Uh you pay there's a monthly fee which is uh, about $130 mm-hmm. and uh uh then the planes uh, like the 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 archers are uh, they're pretty well equipped they've got uh, nice transponders and and a, a whole nice radio stack and everything in any case the the archers are 88 uh an hour wet nice wow nice good deal so i pay yeah wow. and they're not like they're not like rental planes. I mean, these are these are planes that are in very very good condition. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. I pay one forty five for a Cessna one seventy two, and I I pay seventy five for that for that Archer, but it's dry. So right now, add another fifty an hour for uh for the fuel. So I'm about a buck and a quarter wet. Yeah, and that was that's about what I was looking at to get. I was flying a renting a Sundowner 180, which is a beach, yeah, a lot like a a lot like an Archer, um, and that's about what I was paying for it wet mm-hmm. uh, up here. And I was like, you know, I'm about to embark on 40 hours of of instrument flying, and I did the math, and it's like, oh, okay, um, that's like a thousand dollars cheaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, uh, did did you have a um, like initial uh, payment to get in to buy your way in? Yeah, you buy a share of the club, uh, and you get that back when you're all done, uh, and uh, at whatever value it is at the time, they it, it, the value changes uh, as the plane planes age and as you get newer uh, equipment and, and newer uh, capital. Um, yeah. Cool. The nice thing about your club is that with so many planes, it really doesn't matter how many people are in it. You're, you're always going to have something to fly, it sounds like. 
Yeah, they, they do get a lot of use, but uh, if you book ahead uh, and are willing to, you know, to gamble on the the fact that weather, especially in the spring up here, is incredibly unpredictable, mm. um, uh, you know, you can generally get an aircraft. Um, there's a there's probably I think about seventy members right now, and of course, not all of them are actively flying, uh, and out of those. Um, you know, a 10 to 1 ratio seems to be about right uh, uh, in a club like that. Cool. So uh, how long has it been since uh, you, you've got your private finished off? I finished my private last year, uh, April 30th. I took my check ride and passed. And uh, so I waited, a, I waited a year, which is about what I was kind of planning to do. Uh, and I was mulling around, should I get a, should I buy a plane and, and ultimately decided that I just didn't have the time to spend, uh, messing around with, uh, owning an airplane and, and figuring all of that out. Uh, right now life is just a little too busy these days. Uh, and I probably wouldn't have enough time to really fly it enough to, to make it worthwhile. Um, so, uh, you know, I waited a year and, and looked around and decided to join the club and, and make that easier to, uh, to do the instrument training. Yeah, that's what I kind of have in the back of my head is about maybe a year later or something looking into – I was thinking about just more or less doing like two or three guys, two or three like-minded individuals that I can find that like a similar type of plane that I do that is in the area that I'm in and so forth. Um, and that might be hard to do, but we'll see. I've still got some time on that. So uh, was your primary training in uh, in a Cherokee or, or, or a Cessna's? Uh, my primary was all done in Warriors, um, uh, the spring of, uh, well, winter and spring of 2010. Um, I did, I started in January, uh, up here in Minnesota. So we didn't do a lot of density altitude calculations. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the, the lowest it was, was about negative 5,000 feet. <laughs> wow. So you, had, you had plenty of air to work with there, huh? Yeah. Plenty of air molecules. Yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> so then we when i when i did my check ride you know it was like 65 degrees and i couldn't believe how poorly the plane was performing <laughs> well you did your check ride at the wrong time yeah. <laughs> it was exciting we had a there was a big thunderstorm that was about three four miles off to the west of where we were and the dpe was he, you know he's an old guy who's a professor at uh, one of the local aviation colleges and he said ah no worries you know we will have we won't have any problems with that and, um it was just kind of lighting up the cabin as we're doing our maneuvers hmm. huh i've never uh well most of my flying's been in the winter so i haven't really had to deal with any convective stuff yet yeah, it was more than that. It was probably about 15 miles away, but it was a big, big storm. It just yeah. wasn't heading at wasn't heading at us. No, we don't do too much in the way of clouds out here as well. <laughs> Jealous. Three hundred days. Three hundred days of VFR weather out here, mostly. Have you yeah, ever had to watch the ceiling? <laughs> no. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, today... You know, not not any day that I ever went flying, but that. You know, I'd be lying to say that I haven't, you know, there's not clouds because, you know, we get rain, of course, just not that often. But there's only like, you know, 
30 days out of the month that there's ever rain. So, so you've never or had 30 one of those days flights. in a year, I mean. You've never had one of those flights where you're just constantly watching the ceiling being like, all right, stay up there. Mm-mm. No, I've never been within uh, probably 50 miles of a cloud. I had one with an instructor where we were we had to go down because we were starting to lose some visibility. Which maybe maybe a a good thing that I got a lot of good weather, but you know it's a bad thing when it comes to you know having the practice and and the real world experience when it comes to doing that. You know. Yeah. I need to uh, I need to just someday where you know you got a little rain or those clouds are around. You know, as long as it's not. Wendy is all get out, uh, go grab my instructor and say, let's go, you know, practice avoiding clouds, I guess, or, you know, just being up in it. And so, I mean, she's rated for all of it, so might as well try. Yeah, go get some actual, uh, absolutely, I recommend getting some actual uh, whenever you can. Um, and, and up here, we get it all the time. Like today was between 600 and 1400 foot overcast. Uh, tomorrow, same thing. Um and it's it's very educational. Um, go and pick up some ice sometime. Uh, that's really freaky. I, in <laughs> December, I rented a Bonanza, and we flew uh, from from here to uh, to Green Bay. Uh, obviously, with the CFI in the right seat, it was uh, 200 foot overcast. Uh, and on the way back, it was it was getting cold. It was 25 degrees or something, and uh, we came down descending through the cloud layer. And the you know instantly the windshield is just opaque. You can't see anything. Um, and then you come out the bottom of it, and and just as fast, it's all gone. Mm. Um, wow. But but yeah, it's it, it's very disconcerting as a VFR pilot to not be able to see more than a foot away from you uh, in any direction. So did you get um, did you get actual during your training too? Did your CFI take you through some? No, we didn't do actual. We did um, my night cross country was under marginal VFR uh, at night under a new moon. Uh, and then we did then I went under the hood. Um, so huh. let's see how many how many parts of the of the uh, the pre- of the standards can you pile into one single flight? I did cross country, <laughs> dual night and simulated instrument uh, all at the same time. Nice. Um, That's uh, it. Sounds a lot like what I did. My uh, I, I did a um, night under. It wasn't IFR conditions, but we um, my instructor followed an IFR flight plan, and I did hood work the entire way. And that was my one. I one of my two dual cross countries. So yeah, it, it, it's a great it's a great way to kind of pile things together and and see how bad it is. Um, you know, it, one thing that that taught me was I don't ever want to be out in these kinds of conditions again, um, oh, yeah. uh, without an instrument rating. Uh, it was it was tough. Um, it, it, uh, there was one there was one moment in the middle of the flight, well, not in the middle, towards the end of the IFR, where I had I got terrible vertigo and the the dials were all spinning in ways that mentally I knew it was impossible for them to spin. There's like, there's no way that the DG can be going, you know, showing me turning to the, to the East or or turning basically left while the attitude indicator shows me in a right bank. (laughs) Uh, And I, and I knew I'm like, okay, this is vertigo. This is, this is my brain just trying to make sense of what, what is receiving uh, from my inner ear and everything. 
uh, and uh, uh, it kind of just fought it off and fought it off, and then eventually everything settled back down, and I was able to continue. But you know, that's not a, an experience I would have wanted to have without uh, uh, an instrument-rated pilot in the right seat. Um, then we got back. Oh, that was so. I did my primary out of a little uh, thirty-three thousand foot grass strip, um, uh, and so this is my night cross country under marginal VFR uh, conditions. And this thing, you know, it's a grass strip. It doesn't have like big approach lights or anything. It's got trees on on all four sides, um, and there's there are four lights around the. Uh, around the runway. They're just little lights on pylons on the corners uh, and they're 3,000 feet apart the long way and 150 feet apart uh, the width of the runway. Uh, and it was blowing 20 miles an hour across the runway um, with with 80 foot trees on both sides. And my instructor's like, uh, you want me to land it? Oh, sure. You go ahead. Twist my arm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was no way. I wasn't even gonna try. Okay. Yeah, not 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 so sure that the uh, um, uh, that the that the Piper's uh, cross cross uh, what's it called uh, demonstrated uh, crosswind. Yeah, cross component. crosswind components quite 20, 20 knots. No, well, and then when you drop down below the trees, everything changes. It, it shifts about forty five degrees to the north. And uh, so you got to be ready for that. And, you know, this guy's got 2,000 hours of, uh, of time uh, in Pipers. So I was like, yeah, you, you go ahead, buddy. <laughs> get, us, get us on the ground. And, you know, of course, it got on the ground safely and there weren't any deer or anything on the runway, which was helpful. Um, and uh, it all turned out just fine. That's uh, that's the important thing that you got to reuse the aircraft and no one got injured and learned something along the way as well. You guys had any wildlife experiences? No, um, there's uh, I, oh, well, I've came within a, a foot or two of uh, you know, flying through a bunch of birds, but uh, luckily I didn't hit any of them. But uh, they're all all over the runway. It, it seems over there at Deer Valley. That, that happened to me. Uh, I was uh, taken off, and uh, this was back when I was at, at Freeway. My first, like, I, somewhere in the first 13 hours I had, and uh, so I took off in a flock of like these little birds flew flew right in front of me. So I kind of freaked out a little bit, and naturally started to push down a little bit to kind of avoid them. Man, my instructor started yelling at me. <laughs> don't don't go under the birds. <laughs> He's like, he's like, you know, we're, you know, maybe 10 feet off the runway. He's like, don't ever push down. He's like, they're tiny. Just go through them. It's like, they're not going to do anything. And then there was another point, I think a couple later that same flight, there was a big bird that, um, I don't even know what it was, but it was kind of circling around and we had to, we did have to actually dodge that one. <laughs> And that's when he gave me the the lesson. He's like, "Look, if you see a big bird coming, he's like, just duck, <laughs> just duck your head." <laughs> like, yeah, the that's true. Gonna save you. We get we get all kinds up here. Um, during my check ride, during my final uh, landing, uh, just finishing off my check ride and making that that base turn, 
and uh, um, a bald eagle. (laughs) I I would cry if I hit one of those. Oh, yeah. I I mean, it it was one of these things where I was in the middle of the turn to final, and there he was right off my wing and and probably four feet below it. And, you know, it it was one of those things where you – you obviously are not going to turn and stare at it because you're in the middle of your check right on base <laughs> turn to final. Um, but how majestic, um, right? How majestic. Yeah. Soaring with eagles, been... for real. <laughs> yes. And then another time last summer, I, I took my son out and we flew out to, a, uh, to another field and uh, just on a $100 hamburger run. And we, we were coming back and we're taking off and... Uh, I'm doing my check of all the engine instruments as we're accelerating and, you know, watching the airspeed and dividing my attention from runway. And then how is the engine? How is the airspeed? And I, I, uh, do one last check and we're at VR and I look up and there's a deer. (laughs) And, uh, fortunately she was about 200 feet away. Why she decided to hang out in the middle of a runway when there's beautiful pastures on both sides um, uh, but in any case, I was at VR and I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. Bye. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just made a call out on the CTAF and told everybody, Hey, uh, Bambi's, uh, Bambi's on the runway. You may want to do a low pass before you come in and, and do your landing. Um, and that was the end of that. Mm. And we find, uh, coyotes and javelina stuff like that around here. I personally haven't, uh, luckily got to see it in action but uh, a lot of people report that type of stuff around here a lot yeah the uh, the, the runway I fly out of now is right on the water so probably uh, when I go up next month I'll probably have to deal with some seagulls but that's probably about it just some birds most of the like land based wildlife isn't really around that area right now we've got uh, uh all the migratory waterfowl, so geese and ducks and cormorants and all of that stuff is moving through the area. And we, you know, obviously we get that twice a year, um, heading north now and heading south in the fall. And uh, that's something you really have to keep an eye out for because uh, they're they're big enough to hurt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a, a Canadian goose through the windshield is going to do damage. Or the engine. Mm-hmm. Or the wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so any any flying for you, John? Um. Well, no, no flying since uh, well, since I took my dad up what like a month, two months ago. Uh, yeah. Um, I have a flight scheduled on the twenty first, so not this Saturday. Saturday after that. Oh yeah. Um, taking up my friend. We're gonna go do a hundred dollar hamburger run. Uh. This is the one where we're going shooting the day before. Oh, nice. And then doing the hundred dollar hamburger and then uh partying after we're done flying. So <laughs> um that's that's my next flight. Um also planning a flight to um Cambridge again with my brother. I finally get my brother up. Uh we're gonna go down, meet my grandparents for lunch, and then uh fly back. So I'm looking forward to both of those. Other than that, man, I ain't got money for this stuff. Paying off those loans. Yeah, I I got that flying I've already done to pay off first. (laughs) 
Yeah. And uh, this whole going to Florida twice doesn't help me any. Oh, yeah. So how was that? So you you drove down there last time, huh? So, yeah. So I, uh, so I wasn't going to do any flying, but there was uh, seven other guys that were. <laughs> on uh i don't know something called endeavor. endeavor i don't you know probably never heard of it that's a great big airplane <laughs> uh yeah oh man it don't seat very so, many uh, though it don't you know it don't seat very uh-huh. many so tough to do the go around yeah <laughs> so i drove um i drove from baltimore down to uh down to uh winter haven actually which is where i was staying um Oh, when did I? I left at like ten at night. I'm dodging thunderstorms the whole way down in my car, <laughs> and um, like literally, I, I had four flight on. So as I'm going around DC, my GPS told me to go west around DC, which is really weird. I didn't quite understand that, so I was like, I'm going east the way I I know how to do it. So then I pulled up four flight and I looked, and there's a tornado right on the 495 Beltway on the west side, the way my GPS wanted to tell me. So I was like, <laughs> okay, this is good. <laughs> Um, so there was, there was two tornadoes coming through there and then a bunch of tornado warnings the next morning. This is the storm that like killed the South. Yeah. Mm, Um, so I was beating the front the whole way. I only hit, I hit the weather in DC and I hit a little bit in South Carolina after I'd stopped for about two hours to take a nap. Um, other than that, I, I beat the front down there, thankfully. But, um, that's a long drive. Yeah. yeah. How many miles is that then? It's uh nine hundred and something. It took me about sixteen hours. Oh, good lord. Uh, sixteen hours driving time, mind you. It took more. Yeah, that clock time. Yeah. So what was funny about it though is um. Uh, was it Toria Fly on Twitter? I was tweeting with her, and uh, so they were flying down that night as well. Well, I get down there, and like three hours later, they were like, oh, did you make it yet? And I was like, yeah. Like, did you guys just get down? And they were like, no, we're in uh, South Carolina or something like that. Because they kept getting stopped from the weather. Yeah. I actually beat them down. (laughs) (laughs) So I tweeted. I was like, all right, well, time to spare. Fly by air. Uh Uh-huh. But, uh, no, I drove down, um, went, uh, I had to get up at like three in the morning to go driving to Orlando, pick up the bus that was going to Cape Canaveral. We left at like around six in the morning to go over to the Cape. We had to get in, go through security, wait for like two hours, then get back on the buses after the buses cleared Homeland security. And then, uh, I had tickets to the causeway. So we finally get on the causeway and I'm watching Twitter the whole time. And then I start seeing the scrub messages start to come through. Yeah. I was like, ah, crap. So as soon as I get the scrub messages, I look over and there's the shuttle out there. We'd finally gotten to the point where we were about to park and get off. So I did get to see the shuttle on the pad from there. Um, And then the next day, I actually, um, well, that night I met up with Tori and dinner in Disney. And then I went to, uh, the next day, went back to the Cape, met up with Adam Can Fly, Adam Fast, and uh, we had a, um, went through the visitor center that day, which was pretty fun. And then I did work on Sunday and drove home. And then I literally drove from Florida to work. <laughs> <laughs> Longest commute ever. 
Um, stayed there for four hours to get some time in and then went home and passed out. <laughs> um, so needless to say, this time uh, I'm flying out Sunday morning in the human mailing tube. <laughs> uh, I got to be at the bus at 10 o'clock at night. And then we're going to do everything that took the whole morning to do last time is going to be all at night for the 8 in the morning, 8.56, I think, launch time. So hopefully they'll go up this time so I can fly back Tuesday morning and not have to pay tons of money mm-hmm. to change my flight. But Did uh, did you hear if, um, and I should know this because she's from my state, did you hear if Gabrielle Giffords made it? She did. Okay. Um, she was there. Um, I don't know if she's coming back or not. Yeah. Um, but she was there. Obama made it, um, took a tour and then I know he wants to come back. I don't know if he will be, mm-hmm. um, cause that was a whole big thing, but we were already gone by that point. Oh, okay. Um, it was nice cause we did have less traffic because it scrubbed earlier. So there wasn't a whole bunch of people there. So it didn't take forever to get back to Orlando. But, um, yeah, so I will be flying this weekend, just not myself. Kind of sucks, but you know, if uh, I'll take my logbook with me, take my chances. Maybe some other get sick, have the fish, you know. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I'd like to go see that sometime. When I was, uh... you got two chances. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Day and sometime in July. Yeah. I, I signed up for this one, but it didn't get didn't get picked. Ah. Uh. I didn't either, man. I was I was disappointed, but I bought tickets and went anyway. They'll build another vehicle at some point. Well, it's only SpaceX too. That's true. And they're down there. Um, I plan on um, seeing a bunch of them because, uh, well, I don't know if, well, some of the listeners, if they don't follow me on Twitter, won't know. Um, I'm actually moving down to Florida in February, so. I plan on hopping over and seeing a bunch of the SpaceX ones. Sadly, I won't be living down there when the shuttle's going off. But yeah, I uh, when I was young, I made it to the uh, Johnson Space Center in, in uh, Houston. My uh, aunt and uncle were living down there, so I got to see that. But I was I was fairly young then. I was I don't know, maybe ten to thirteen years old, something like that. So I don't remember much of it. Um, I've I've been there. I actually went. Um... Uh, with my fraternity, we went down. We actually, it was a new chapter down there in Houston. Mm-hmm. So we met with them, and the president <clears throat> at the time actually worked on um, what did he work on? Uh, the shuttle simulator and mission control. He did a uh, uh, computer stuff for them. Yeah. So he went in, gave us he gave us a tour of, like the rocket garden and everything. Um, I think Kennedy's a little nicer. They have a little bit more of a like a museum welcome center thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnson, well, I mean, the Rocket Garden was cool, but it wasn't as nice as Kennedy, I think. Yeah, you don't even hear of Johnson really anymore when it comes to space centers, you know, because the rockets aren't taken off or or landing there. Yeah, but all the work is done there. Yeah. I mean, that's the manned center for training, for mission control, for everything. Mm -hmm. They just don't get all the glory. (laughs) Wow. You know, because they always everybody everybody shows up to where they take off and where they land at. But 
It's true. You know, you know how it is. So. All right, man. Hopefully, I'll get to see some other people live this weekend. It's Monday. Yeah. Well, I, and then, uh, if anybody knows any good flying clubs in the Lakeland area, um, turns out there's a good chance that I'll be moving into Lakeland. Uh, which means I'm going to be volunteering somewhere next year. <laughs> doing doing what? <laughs> Maybe sometime in the spring. I don't know. Man, I want oh, to Oh, the t- tornado cleanup? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. My girlfriend's mom owns a restaurant in Winter Haven. So uh, um, they live in Winter Haven now, but... Uh, the problem is with me moving down there, I have more of a shot at getting a job in Tampa or Orlando. So they want to move. They're looking at Lakeland, which kind of works out because it's close enough to Tampa. I can get a job there. So if anybody knows any programming jobs in Tampa, too, I'll be welcome to that one. <laughs> find me a job. Programming jobs. Find me a job. Find me a flying club and uh, a good CFI. <laughs> isn't, where's, isn't Flight Monkeys down there in, in Lakeland area? Isn't that their neck of the woods? Uh, you know, I think it is. And I heard it. What did I hear? I just recently heard about them. And I think it was something from uh, something around Sun and Fun I was listening to. Yeah, let's take a look. I think I think they may be down there. It may have been UCAP that talked about them. But yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little better about the aviation because there's a lot more down there than there is up here. Sure. And a lot less And a lot less DC. <laughs> Does uh, does um, any of the TFRs around around there ever affect uh, your airspace? Um, which ones? Well, because DC being close. Well, I mean, there's one in Wilmington, Delaware. There's always that one for Biden that I have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, I mean, obviously the SFRA is always there, um, and the freeze, um, and there are ones that pop up a lot. Uh, I haven't really had to deal with any because there are usually days I'm not flying. So, but there there is a lot that you have to deal with around here. That's something you should always be checking out for in your area then huh? before you go up. Yeah, I mean I always call a briefer. Um, and I get the emails too. Mm-hmm. Between the emails, between Twitter, I mean, even if you just watched your emails on Twitter, you would know. <laughs> Yeah, from AOPA and FAA, not to mention the fact that, you know, I always call a briefer and get that information. Yeah. And even ForeFlight, I mean, will tell me that. So there's really no excuse for for busting a TFR. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, uh, I've actually got to fly a couple of times since our last episode. I, uh... Done yet? Not quite. And by done, I mean the uh, written... No, no. You know what? They've decided you don't have to do that anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just got in under the wire, so that's cool. You guys... Have you at suck. least set a date yet? <laughs> no, I literally have had next to no time. And I just finished... Um, I've been doing this side work. I've been cabling out this uh, building for like uh, three or four weeks or so. I just finally finished that. The good news is, is I made a little over three grand on it, so all of the money, you know, I've got more than enough money to finish my flight training, so no excuse not to go fly. Where do you find these jobs? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know how to cable? It's not too hard. 
Gabley. No, but if anybody needs a web developer, I'm uh Yeah. Yeah, little uh, little cabling job from uh, a buddy of mine who opened up a new, or moved his business to a new location. So that was uh, that was good side money, but it took up like so much time. And between my uh, job at work, which like last night I worked till 11:30 at night. So um, and if it wasn't for this, I'd probably still be working right now. So this was a nice excuse to get off because, like I said, I was ready to set a server on fire if I had any kind of physical access to it. Let alone a couple, a uh, couple of uh, heads of hair. A few of the few of the people I work with too. They're just really getting on my nerves. I'd rather be up there flying, relaxing. But uh, so I, I saw I, that tweet today. Yeah, dude, I was just. You know, <laughs> you've had the days when you're just tensed up and you just want to choke someone. But yeah, I know. And you know what makes it worse is at my work there. Uh, there's a um, side company that my bosses run that's uh, called Aegis Aviation, and they're doing. Uh, they're trying to build a hangar. <laughs> So I hear about aviation all the time there, mm. which is just like, fuel. oh, man. It's like fuel on the fire, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to do my first uh, uh, hour of Under the Hood. And uh, to be honest. You haven't done any yet? No. I, well, I've done. All I've got left, left is three hours of hood work and a mock check ride. Oh, the fun stuff. Yeah. So, so she liked the hood. Well, I, I did. Uh, but I got to admit that it was more challenging than I thought it would be. Um, I thought by just doing nothing but concentrating on the gauges, you know, it would be easy, you know, to stay at an altitude, to do whatever, you know, she asked you to do. But uh, it was uh, it was more of a challenge than I thought. Um, you know, we, uh, we left Deer Valley and headed down to the Buckeye VOR and um, uh, about... You know, a, a mile away from the airport, I threw on the threw on the uh, uh, foggles, and um, she had me navigating to a certain radial off of the VOR and and teaching me how to, you know, creep up on it a little bit. You know how you can't just if if I'm on the zero three zero radio, I just can't turn to zero three zero and I'm on it because you're not on it. You know, you're just in a heading of zero three zero, but you're not on that radial yeah. yet. And it's just how to right. how to intercept it the the, the correct way. Um, incrementally until you are perfectly lined up with it. And, uh, you know, one of the challenges she was, she said, is, okay. Um, like after we were, we were heading back, she was like, okay, uh, get on the, it was probably the, I think the zero two one radial. And, uh, after you get on it, I want you to stay on it center lined for one full minute. And that was, that that was damn tough. (laughs) I was I, I, See that's that's one of those points where I just flip on that autopilot and. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you, want, you want straight and level at the same time. What? <laughs> I I don't want. Yeah, and so in the middle of this is like, uh, so uh, so how how's the how's the fuel pressure? What altitude are you at? And uh, you know she just hitting me up with looking at all these other gauges and blah blah blah. Next thing you know, I'm 300 feet higher than I'm supposed to be. I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? You know. Um, if all you have to do is that, if if you just have to do the scan and look at nothing else, right. just those six instruments, man, you can do it perfectly. But as soon as you add something else to it and break the scan, I mean, within seconds, yeah, you're just yeah. Boom, somewhere else. Which was which was what really um threw me was you know I was real good on that night cross country you know I did great I was doing real well with the the hood work, but. At the end of it, he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, but look at how much work I was doing for you 
as the IFR pilot. And then I thought about it and I was like, holy crap. I mean, he was constantly looking up, you know, because they gave him a different vector than, you know, different route than what he had filed for. So we had to figure out where he was going, how to put it in, where to go, talk to them, listen to them, you know, change out. To, I was like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, next time when we go out, I don't know if she's going to do this to me next time or whatever, but I I can't wait till she has me like bury my head in my chin or my chin to my chest and close my eyes and have her do something funky with the airplane and have me figure it out as, as, as uh, helpless as I was just trying to keep the plane level. Um, That's actually not too hard in a simulated setting. Yeah. The problem is it's not very, because when your head's in your lap, you're running through your head. Okay, if the airspeed's increasing, you know, I'm going down. If the airspeed's decreasing, I'm going up. You know, here's what I need to do to come. You know, you're thinking that in your head. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd like to have a non-simulated way to do that, though it's kind of hard to do because you have to distract you somehow. Is there, yep. is there, a, is there a certain technique or method to uh, scan, a ga- scan gauges in a certain order to do it? the best way you know I, we're going over that in my instrument training right now and every single cfii that i've talked to they all say you just have to figure out what's going to work for you mm. um there's at, at first you go too fast um you're, you're jumping from instrument to instrument too quickly because you're you're, you're not taking the time to, to to really read it and understand what it's doing and understand what that means and then you're also you're probably you know, like everybody, and, and I'm the same way, you're dividing your time equally between the six gauges instead of learning which ones you need to focus on for the, for the moment in flight that you're at at the time. You know, like when you're leveling off to cruise, what are you going to focus on more? Are you going to pay more attention to airspeed and, alt- and altimeter? Um, you know, and, and so as you, as you go through and do your instrument training, that, that's all you do. You get 40 hours of just staring at the dials. Um, <laughs> That's... And uh, if you if you want to do that simulated unusual attitude recovery thing and have it really work for you, uh, have the you know it, close your eyes, have the instructor do a couple of two minute turns, just level. Okay, so your your inner ear is all screwed up, and then have her um, you know put the plane in an unusual attitude, and, and have while you're while she's doing the turns, keep your head level. Okay, and then have her. Put the plane in an unusual attitude, and right before she gives you the controls, have look right down at your lap. Just tilt your head down very quickly, and then have her give you the airplane. Because as soon as you tilt your head down really fast, you're going to be convinced that the airplane is tumbling over backwards. <laughs> oh, great. Wow. Is that really the best That's... time to hand me the controls, though? <laughs> <laughs> For that exercise, Yes. <laughs> You know, I really want to grab a CFI and go do that wow. now. That, that sounds like fun, sort of. <laughs> I think, I don't know, I think the first thing you got to look at is probably your attitude indicator and get wings level. And then check, no. check your speed and see how fast you're going or slow you're going and adjust that. Actually, I was told it depends. You look at the airspeed first because yeah. if it's if it's – Increasing or decreasing depends on whether you need to level the wings first. Right. Because if it's decreasing is when you need to level the wings first because you're more prone to stall with the bank, right? Mm. So you are saying so, – so airspeed is, should be one of the first things you look at. 
airspeed is the first the way i was taught okay because at that point you were immediately doing something with the throttle and so there is a little method to the madness you know there is and she'll probably go over the method to you she'll say if you see this do this if you see this do this Mm -hmm. because it's really there's really two things you're either i mean if you're straight if your wings are level you're like in the perfect scenario at that point (laughs) (laughs) you know either you're going to be your airspeed's going to be increasing or it's going to be decreasing. So either you're going to be pitch up or pitch down, right? Uh-huh. And they're going to they're going to be two different responses, and that's really what it boils down to. Um, if I'm correct, it, it my really, thing- yeah, you you really you, you do go to airspeed first. Um, the really the the next question is, do I do the ailerons first or do I do the pitch correction first? Yes. Um, and and the airspeed indicator is what's going to clue you in as to which way to yank the yoke. Um, do you go forward and backward, forward or backwards, or do you go left to right first? And you could do that simultaneously if you knew what was going on. Well, pitch it, forward and roll out straight. Pitch up and roll out straight at the same time. Yeah, but but you're gonna you're gonna put a load on the wings depending on what you're doing. Right. You know, which yeah, is you, what you, you have to be careful of. If you're going down and turning, you want to level out before you pull. Mm-hmm. Um, because you want to reduce the power, right, yeah. to, to slow yourself down a little bit so you don't pull too many Gs pulling out. Am I right yeah. on that? Yep, that's my understanding as well. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It's a lot to think about in like three seconds. It is. Yeah, I saw I saw the King videos where, uh, where um, he's uh, getting his check ride from... What's his name? I can't think of the guy's name. John. Well, no, John. Who who is John? JC. Uh, JC. JC. Yeah, yeah. JC. <laughs> give him his check ride, and he. Did. I can't tell you how many times in the check ride I wanted to say, "All right, JC." <laughs> yeah. I watched that video a couple times, and you know, John knocks it out. Like you said, in about three seconds, he's got it all figured out. Of course, you know, not his first radio. He's done it a few times. So anyways, I, uh, I they have like every rating, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Every rating and and uh they just put out a new course recently on what flying the Mustang, I think it was. Uh that and there was another uh uh single engine they put out too. Well, they got the Skycatcher. That's what it was, the Skycatcher. Mm-hmm. I really want to see that. Yeah. I want to fly one of those. I uh I was I was uh flying with um a buddy of mine and we flew uh, somewhere, I forget where it was off the top of my head. I can never remember the name of this. Is this Cessna, dude? Huh? 140. The Skycatcher? No, is this your 140? Oh, no, no, no. Somebody, uh, ah. somebody else, actually, uh, Todd, who, the guy who had like 100 hours before he finished. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he, he came over to Deer Valley and picked me up like the day after he got his ticket. <laughs> I, That's right. And uh, we went flying around and uh, we landed wherever this was, I couldn't remember. And there was a sky catcher doing touch and goes, uh, cause we called the guy on the radio. We we're like, what, what is it that you're flying? Cause it looks familiar, but I couldn't put my you know, finger on it exactly. <laughs> and he says, Oh, it's the sky catcher. I was like, Oh, okay. That's why it looks so new. <laughs> so I, I really want to fly when it, cause I just hear, keep hearing how roomy it is. Mm. And you know, well you saw, have you seen the picture of uh, Martha with all the uh, video gear she's got inside that thing for doing the videos of it? No. Oh my gosh, this thing's loaded up with cameras all over the freaking place. And they're not the cheapy little SD card cameras. I mean, they're high quality, large HD 
video cameras hmm. with big mounts and everything and and uh wow and they got that thing loaded up and uh it's pretty cool the picture so um so anyways that was 1.3 hours on the hobs and i got credit for one hour of uh of hood time so i'm uh, nice that's a long time yeah is it in one flight yeah oh okay uh well you know me and the uh the way I go about, <laughs> the way I go about uh, <laughs> cross countries and whatever, you know. Uh, f- getting close, man. You're getting real close. Brad, you know how I yeah. did how I did my uh, my first night cross country, right? You hear about that? I did. I'm trying to remember what it was though. It was uh, two and a half hours, and I landed at five different airports. Oh, that's right. Oh, yes. Now it's coming back to me. Man, I was listening you to that. Are... You were busy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this this friend of mine that uh, is also um, well, I I met I met him through Jackie, my instructor. He's also doing his his uh, instruction with her, and he's about in the same spot I am. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's almost exactly in the same spot I am. I said, hey, whoever gets done first, we'll have to take the other one up. Uh, you know, whoever gets their ticket first, and he's like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna fly with you. You're a madman. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you made me feel bad, like I was dangerous or something. <laughs> No, no, not dangerous. But uh, I missed it because I missed flying because it was uh, what that was. Um, that was May fifth, and prior to that, I hadn't flown since uh, March twenty first. So that was a, a pretty good sized gap for me. I still haven't flown since March twelfth. Ah. <sighs> I am actually. I need to call the school this week because I need to see if they have a sixty day. Uh, currency because mm. if so i'm gonna have to go up next week with an instructor that's gonna suck oh yeah i mean it's gonna suck in a money sense it's not gonna suck in a sure i could really use the time mm-hmm. um but yeah i was i was thinking the same thing as like if i don't if i you know i kind of put jack in the spot hey can we go do some uh some uh uh, hood work um we can do it at night now because it's staying light enough you know late enough that i can jump out after i get off work and she's like sure because if she couldn't i was just gonna go take the go, t- go take the plane and go do some touch and goes around the pattern just to you know just to get the feel back you know yeah so. that's what 90 days for solo right it's good for 90 days mm-hmm. i think that's right yeah, I kind of want to take uh, maybe go next week anyway and grab the plane and do a few touch and goes just to get back into it. Um, really get my mind into it again and do it in a place where I know, yeah. you know, a little better. And yeah, you can go th- do three touch and goes or whatever, and just you know, and that's cheap enough. You know, you can get three of those yeah. three touch and goes done in fifteen minutes. <laughs> wow. Well, maybe not including run up and all that. I guess twenty minutes. Yeah, plus I mean we're both at the longer runways. Yeah. So. Well, I got 8500 foot runway and I do I can do uh touch and goes every uh less than every 5 minutes. Every 4 minutes I can get a touch and go in. All right. Yeah, I um You're doing the pattern at 120. I mean I've been well, I don't. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> you don't do that. <laughs> like 100 maybe. Um no, but I've been thinking about doing that. Uh, I, I may. We'll see. Um, if anything, I'm going to definitely do some chair flying coming up here uh, after I get back from Florida. Um, 
as they kind of plan for this for this trip to really get back into it, pull out the checklists and just you know go through it all mentally, mm-hmm. so I can start getting it back in my head and that kind of thing, and maybe go over some of the maneuvers. I got a plane ride I can do that on, so very good. Yeah, and what else? I've had uh, I I did fly last week too with with my buddy uh, uh, Dean who's got the little Cessna 140, and uh, he he does uh, he does these blood runs for the United Blood Service. He's uh, he's one of the volunteers that that signs up to takes take a box of uh, blood platelets. Um, usually they fly them from Deer Valley up to uh, um, Flagstaff, or not just Deer Valley, you know wherever in the valley. Up, up to Flagstaff, Arizona, and uh, and they and so someone drops off the blood with you at the airport, and then someone picks it up at the airport up there. Um, so anyway, they had kind of like a volunteers meeting slash fly-in over in uh, Parker, Arizona, which is pretty much just just due west of uh, of Phoenix. It's almost to Lake Havasu, maybe another 25 miles or so is Lake Havasu. So it was a little over 100 miles, and uh, so I met him at the airport, and uh, we took his little Cessna 140 over there, and, and that's a fun little plane to fly. You know, it's it's not fast, and it's not flashy, and it's it's a 1946. You know, it's just old school, and there's there's nothing, you know, super updated about it. He, he works he works for Honeywell, and is and is part of the Bendix uh, Bendix King Group, so he always has one of the cool aviator aviators or aviator aces to to play with for the for the GPS to take along. So that's cool, but uh, so we uh, flew over there, um, almost broke 100 knots a couple of times. Um. <laughs> Did you do spins? <laughs> you know what? I asked him about that, and uh, he's not current in spins. He said, let me get some practice in, and we'll go do some. So I'm kind of looking forward to that because he hadn't done them. I really, I really want to get some spin training soon. Yeah. Um, Brad, have you done any spin training? I, I have not. It's actually on my list. There's a... Um, a super decathlon and a Citabria nearby oh. here that, can, that I can rent. Um, and I'm not tailwheel endorsed, but I, I can go up with a CFI and uh, we can go up high and do. Uh, he, had, he has a good video of a um, 50 spin descent. Oh my gosh. Wow. That, did that from 10,000 feet. I think that cabin would stink to high heaven after about 10 spins. <laughs> well, you, you heard about the um, – I don't know if you guys listen to Inverted Cast, but they were talking about this one guy that was trying to do the record for the most inverted flat spins. Mm-hmm. And they had to take a pits up to like, I don't know, 25,000 feet. <laughs> <laughs> and he would just put it in an inverted flat spin and make it all the way down to like 2,000 before he you know, gets out of it. A turbocharged pit. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some heavy modifications because if you listen to the podcast, uh, he goes, uh, it Mark, right? I think was uh, talking about it, and he was like going over how he thought about all the things he'd have to change in that airplane to get it to number one, get up to that high, <laughs> do that many spins, and still have gas to land. <laughs> it's uh. That'd be sick. I'm good with like three spins, you know. Yeah. It's... I don't need to do like eighty. 
Yeah, I don't need to turn myself into a, a human screw. The, the spin yeah. thing is uh, one of my goals for Florida, though. When I get down there is I want to do some aerobatic work, and I want to get my tailwheel. I think that's f- one of the first things I'm going to do after I get my uh, ticket is probably go uh, hit up this one instructor um, who's got a Satabria uh, and uh, get the tailwheel. And uh, Jackie told me about him, and he has that he has that Deer Valley, so that's cool. So I don't have to I have to go hunt one down somewhere else. She said that oh I I can't uh, I can't uh, solo it, um, but I can get my ticket through him. So yeah, nice. This place, the place up here will actually let you will sign you off, and you can do solo. Um, and it's nice to do all your training, uh, all your tailwheel training on grass. Uh, it's a little a little more forgiving. Ooh. Oh, cool. I want to, I, I also want to, I don't want to necessarily go right away and just go to a grass field and, you know. Boy, I'd have to fly a long freaking way to find one. <laughs> there's, um, I should ask my instructor, I don't think there's one in Arizona. There's definitely not one that's at least not private. There might be one that's private, but there's not one that's yeah. a public use anyways. Well, there's a few up here and, um, I guess if when I live in Florida, I'll have plenty of lakes to get a seaplane rating. There but you uh, go. <laughs> um, I I want to I want to take an instructor before I go to a grass strip to even try it because I just not having done it, I don't want to just go do it mm-hmm. even with the saw field I have. You know the training. Yeah. That they give you. I mean, just not being actually on a saw field, I'm not quite comfortable enough to just go do it. It's it's nice. It's actually a lot more forgiving uh, if you're on a decent turf runway um, than asphalt is. Uh, it 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 it's softer. It's quieter. It's it, I really enjoy landing on grass uh, grass fields. Now I haven't done any soft grass fields. Um, you know where the where the grass is a foot long and, and the, <laughs> the the dirt is all really soft from a lot of rain or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the strip that I flew out of was uh, it was grass, but it was coming up through sand, and it was elevated about a foot off of the surrounding terrain, uh, and that was enough to keep it pretty dry. But um, but yeah, it, it's it's really nice. Now it comes to float planes, you got to come up to Minnesota. <laughs> we have the world's number one manufacturer of floats for aircraft, and Whip Air is uh, in St. Paul, and uh, there's a place up here where you do your float training over a weekend. And what they do is you get in the plane with the instructor, you fly around Minnesota, you land at all these lakes, you go fish in the afternoon, hang out in a cabin at night, finish off, grab a DPE, do your check ride, and you're done. Nice. So you get, to, you know, it's a it's a pretty nice weekend. Yeah, I, I kind of want to do one of the weekend ones, though. I, I hear that it's not really you're not really at the point after a weekend to where you're comfortable doing anything solo. Um, but the fishing thing sounds nice though. I mean, I guess in Florida I could, you know, go catch some alligators or something, <laughs> some alligator wrestling or I don't know. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose they frown on putting your, uh, your float plane down on the salt water. Yeah, probably. That would make pretty short work of an aluminum aircraft, I would guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. 
There, um, Either way, that's one of the ratings I do want to get, too. That and the tailbill. There's a um, there's a guy here in uh, that's that does a, a seaplane rating with a beach 18. Ooh. And uh, multi. Yeah, you get you get your multi and your and your seaplane rating out of a beach 18, and it's a it's a kind of a same thing. It's a it's a whole weekend thing, and you call ahead and you say, okay, I, I'll sign up for it. And then they're like, well, what do you want to, what do you want to eat while you're here? And they're like, oh, I want you know, I like steak and lobster. So they go out and get steak and lobster, and you do your training, and you pull up next to a beach, and they start a campfire, and you do your, uh, you do your uh, lunch or whatnot. Here's I'll, now. How much does this cost? I'll send you. There's the link to it right there. Okay. Have at it. That uh, all right? Where is this at? Off of Lake Mead, and so you're all around um, uh, um, the Colorado River, Lake Powell area, stuff like that. I can make me go out west, huh? Oh yeah. Oh, that looks cool. I'm gonna have to put this in that. Remind me to put this in the show notes. Because <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that looks like a pretty good time. So I don't know, um, Brad. Have you have you been to Oshkosh? I have actually. Last year was my first year. Uh, I went to the Sloshkosh. Ah <laughs> uh, yeah, slash gosh. Uh, trying to find a campsite was fun. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up in Fond du Lac. I flew down with my CFI in his Saratoga, uh, and we ended up camping down in Fond du Lac and uh, taking a bus or taking uh, one of the guys came up in a rental car and uh, we drove up. <clears throat> but I'm from Wisconsin originally, so I kind of know all of these places. Nice. Yeah, I um. Uh, I was just wondering if you had been to the seaplane base because that uh, that is a really cool little quiet like kind of little known spot of Oshkosh. Um, but it's just so cool to see all the the float planes just parked there and the little lagoon thing they have going on. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to see it, but I would really like to get over there. Um, it's it's only about an hour and a half flight from here, so it's something where I can go down even for a day. Um, and, and still make it back, uh, at night, uh, if I'm not too wiped out from, from puttering around, uh, and drooling on airplanes. <laughs> yeah, I did the, uh, I did the whole, uh, week long camp extravaganza, which I'll be doing again this year. So awesome. Yeah. It was, uh, it was fun that one night that thunderstorm came through cause our tent, uh, got inverted for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> It's like two in the morning, and I just get I get woken up being hit in the head with the tent poles just coming inverted. <laughs> wow. Oh. oh, so um, as in the little saying, so so we're we're flying down, we're flying over there to uh to Parker, right? And um, and so it's kind of cool because there's all these other planes that are heading there too. And do you, do you guys know about the secret frequency? For air to air, tra- for air to air, talking. I can never remember it. It seems to be the CTAF around where I live. Hmm. Well, out here, I don't know about anywhere else, but out here, the secret frequency is one, two, three, four, five. So no, there actually is one. <laughs> so everybody, everybody knows to turn, turn to one, two, three, four, five. I mean, normally, really, you're supposed to, you would put in the, um, 
you know, there's a frequency that divides the the, the Phoenix area from north to south, and if and I forget what it is. If you're on one side of if you're on one side of uh, of uh, Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport, everybody uses this t certain frequency to talk, and another one uses an, uh, the other frequency. But around here, most people just use one, one, two, three, four, five. I don't think that's really a secret, but uh, I don't I don't know that a lot of people use it for for talking air to air or not. But it was cool. Okay, so listen. So you were talking air to air there. I'm sorry, I got interrupted by the girlfriend. No. <laughs> So we're just talk, so, talking back and forth to other airplanes that are heading out there and uh, okay. to Parker yeah. on the on the frequency. So that was kind of fun. Um, and yeah, I really want to do some formation. Too. We did some uh, unintentional formation flying where well, that's never good. And I I, I, throw, I have a picture of a nice uh, um, Cherokee 180 um, at our you know well it's now at about our 10 o'clock when I finally took the picture of it, but. Uh, you know, you can see the person inside the plane really, really well, and I could see how fast he was going on his airspeed indicator, if that's any indication. Well, I, I got a picture of a 747 below us. <laughs> I'm sure it looked big, too. Yeah, I couldn't quite see the pilot because it was far away, but it was still pretty big. That's a big airplane with little bitty windows. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it flew right under us. Uh, it, it caused enough alarm that my instructor called up the... Uh, uh, Dover approach at the time was like, uh, we're seeing a heavy coming out of Dover. Yeah. <laughs> Guys like, ah, oh, it's no factor. We'll uh, level off at 3000 fly below you. <laughs> we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Once we got that cleared up, it was reach for the camera. <laughs> Both of us sitting there taking pictures of the 747 come below us. Yeah. That, that's kind of funny. Cause when we, when we were flying and people were like, Oh, Dean, where are you? And blah, blah, blah. Where are you? And he's like, Oh, we're, you know, we're at, 5,500 feet, doing 80 knots. We're still 40 miles out. Blah blah blah. We'll be there in about you know, whatever. And uh, and this other guy's like, oh okay, I'm coming up right behind you. I'll, I should be there. I should be passing you here in a few minutes. He goes, okay, caution, wake turbulence. And <laughs> and we're in a 140, right? Lots of wake turbulence. Tons of it. Yeah. Now, how how often have you actually legitimately gotten wake turbulence? Um, flying out of Deer Valley once in a while because there's quite a few corporate jets. But uh, I, now, now, Brad, at your grass field? Uh, the, not at the grass field. Although the the last, well, a couple flights in the last six months, I've been uh, it just I've been the creator of the wake turbulence and had the big jet coming up behind us. <laughs> so they, you know, it was used maximum uh, maximum airspeed uh, uh, on approach. <laughs> okay. Um, which in the Bonanza was was fun, but in the Sundowner uh, it was a little bit of a different story. <laughs> you know, Bonanza sounds like a lot of fun to fly. It, it is a nice flying airplane. It really is. Um, it, it's really different flying a plane that is that slippery, though. Um, especially, so it was my introduction to the Bonanza high-performance complex and IFR. So they had us wow. had me do a, dis, a descending turn uh, through IMC uh, to make an approach to the airport, and so I I'm at four thousand feet. I, I'm in the flatland, so everything is about a thousand feet. Uh, all the fields are about a thousand feet around here, uh, and I start my uh, start my turn and I start descending, and the plane just goes, uh, and so all of a sudden I'm I'm doing my scan, and it's like wow. 2,000 foot per minute descent rate. I'm at 4,000 feet. <laughs> I guess I better do something about that. 
<laughs> and look, we're going uh, 175 knots. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Throw the anchor out the back, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Again, happy for the CFI. Um, <laughs> there was there was no way that that would have been a, a survivable encounter. Uh, but there's no way I'd have been in that situation by myself either. Yeah. Yeah, I keep hearing how, uh, you know, planes like that are, are so much more just better flying than, you know, like the 172s and the, the training aircraft. Because you just get like, even through turbulence, you know, you just feel a lot less of it. It's just made to fly better, even though it's less forgiving in a sense. Here you go. Speaking of Speaking of bonanzas. Check out that one. Oh, this breakfast flying to P twenty. Is that what that says? No, that's the airport P twenty. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, Avia Sequila. Oh. <laughs> okay, that's the uh, that's the uh, picture for the. Uh... That is the Shiznit of uh, Bonanza's nineteen ninety nine A thirty six Jaguar edition. A ninety nine. Yeah, I was flying an 87. It wasn't quite that new, but uh, oh, still a lot of fun. That's the cabin seats beautiful. in the back. So, uh, <laughs> is that pretty or what? Uh, I'm gonna. You're gonna have to give me a minute here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here, there's there's the whole uh, the whole uh, all the pictures, but. But that was a, a sweet plane. I, I should have asked the guy. I talked to him for quite a while. I should have asked him to uh, let me see the inside. I mean, it's got such beautiful leather interior. The instrument cluster is gorgeous. Is that a Cirrus? Oh, yeah. It's their 22. Mm-hmm. Those things are nice, too. Mm-hmm. That yellow and white uh, Cherokee is the one that passed me on, passed us on the left. And That's a beautiful plane, too. What's that? You know, I, I really like the Cherokee. Like, just the look of the... I, I like the low wing. I really want to fly a low wing. Um, I mean, I just... I like the look of them. I mean... And I've only flown a high wing so far, so... Yeah, the only thing that will uh, take a little bit of you getting used to will uh, is going to be that ground effect. Yeah, I'm sure. Got that wing about four or five feet below you now. But you can use full flaps and crosswinds. Yeah. Yeah. We no body the plane plane's not in the body of the plane's not in the way. Yeah. Yeah. True. You know, I, it's one of the things that um, caught me off guard a few times. Is when my instructor was like, "Okay, don't put in any more flaps," and I'm like, "Why?" <laughs> and he's like, "Well, you're not going to have any, you know, really." Directional control with the ailerons, uh, you know, on a crosswind. Mm. Yeah. Which took a little getting used, you know, just mentally getting used to that concept. The little Cessna 140 doesn't go fast enough to warrant ever putting in any flaps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's fun though is that Dean Dean loves to, no matter what the wind conditions are, slip it into land almost every time. All right, we're slipping. He does such a cool job of it. It's so much fun. I like slip is fun. Hmm. Um, I did so many slips in my check ride. 
the uh, well, the low wing. I also had my engine pulled like three times in my check ride. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the most unreliable plane I've ever seen in my life, man. Seriously, by the by the time I got in the by the time I got my flight school, like, <laughs> um, I think my instructor said something. He's like, yeah, he's or no, it was the DPE. He was like, yeah, these planes are just so unreliable. Yeah, you need to go get a mechanic and tell him about it. <laughs> I was like. I had my engine pulled so many times that week. <laughs> Between the, the two pre-check ride flights I did and the actual check ride, it was just like I, I had a working engine about 30% of the time. <laughs> oh. your, your fuel bill was really good, though, since you were a, <laughs> since you were a glider for so, so much of it. <laughs> yeah, with my wet payment. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Forget about that. I always forget about that. <laughs> yeah, see, one of the benefits of uh, being in the flying club, I pay I pay tack time. Oh, that's better. See, that's another thing I really want to get. I, man, I need to fly in a flying club. And obviously, there's nothing up here for me now if I'm moving down to Florida. But yeah, I'm really hoping I can find a really good flying club down there. I'm sure you will. And there's got to be – you know, the cool thing is about being down there is that uh, I think you got probably a little more variety of planes, too. You, you might that you might find in better club, weather. You might find a club that's got like a float plane, a tailwheel, and a you know a regular you know single engine high wing or low wing you know, and you have like a big variety you could always choose from. That would yeah, and I'm really hoping that being in Lakeland and Winter Haven because I keep hearing those names come up in aviation, and I'm like, okay, this must be a good place to be. <laughs> So I, I am really hoping that I can find some good stuff down there because uh, it's going to kill me if not. Well, even if you don't find it in a flying club, you know, most flying clubs are pretty generic airplanes because the insurance otherwise is really ridiculous. But yeah. even if you don't find it in a flying club, you know, hang out at the airport and find people. Um, I discovered that one of my neighbors, actually, I discovered one of my neighbors is a member of the club I just joined. Another one of my neighbors has a T6 on the same field uh, and he does formation flying every wednesday so uh he's like yeah anytime you want to come up you know just let me know um what are you doing tomorrow so, uh, <laughs> that's an interesting that's an interesting plane you know it was fun to get up and talk to somebody who who owns one of those because you know here's a plane that's it's 30 gallons an hour of of av gas mm -hmm. and it only goes 150 miles an hour not 150 knots yeah 150 miles an hour so it's basically the same speed as your average arrow it's a it's a big fat plane. Yeah, and it's it's hard to fly, and it it you know it uses three and a half times the fuel as an arrow, and uh, leaks oil like a sieve. <laughs> you know, he's like, there's nothing remotely practical about this. Clue <laughs> man, I don't care. That plane is, you know, I I, I can see the infatuation with everyone with the P fifty one, you know, something like that. But to me, the plane I've I want a ride in more than anything is a T6. I don't know why. It was something about that plane. I just, I, I don't know. I, I really want a ride in that plane. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring the webcam. Yeah. <laughs> Man, and then, you know, I, I see a bunch of people on Twitter getting these freaking uh, Groupons for it. <laughs> Killing me. <laughs> Nothing like that here in Maryland. There was a Groupon up here last week that a bunch of guys I work with were thinking about doing, and it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. 
it was a, it was a skydiving Groupon, which okay, whatever. If you skydive, you skydive. That's fine. Yeah, um, I'll try that. It was it was from twenty four thousand feet. Oh, that actually sounds like fun. That's skydiving with oxygen. It, Dude, I it's yeah, it's it's negative thirty five there right now. <laughs> Wow, I'm okay with that. That sounds like fun. But I don't even know that you'd be allowed to do that on a first, even a tandem. Do they even allow that on a? I cannot imagine. Right. I mean, it, it's no. got to be something where you've got to train up to it because it's high altitude. There's oxygen. There's so many things that could go wrong. Yeah, I'm, I'm pr- it's probably meant for people who's already got X amount of hours or X amount of jumps. I mean, you would think. Yeah. Well, I mean, the only. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of ground involved there with the oxygen. What? But a lot of what? Ground. Underneath. Training. Oh, oh, okay. I was like going, yeah, underneath you. <laughs> no, All no, of it. like ground instruction. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I, I could see that. You know, for tandem, if you really the, I mean, the main difference is the, the oxygen. Mm-hmm. And the cold. But that, eh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris wouldn't know anything about I, that. But uh, yeah, I was going to say, have you felt <laughs> minus thirty-five? Because I have experienced minus thirty-five personally, uh, and I can't imagine it with a hundred and twenty mile an hour headwind. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, my I, my I, arms are icing up. <laughs> it sucks <laughs> when you get icing on your face. <laughs> yeah. Ice is only when you're in the cloud. Visible moisture. Come on. Visible moisture. Not in the cloud. Visible moisture. Yeah, I I, I corrected myself there. Sorry. Yeah, visible moisture. Actually, Brad, I'm from Missouri originally. My first 18 years of growing up, so we had ridiculous winters there. And I'm so glad I sold my snow shovel and moved out here when I was 18. (laughs) Yeah, this this winter was tough. I really wanted it. I couldn't fly. I think I flew once in January. Um, and that was, I had to like play hooky from work to do it because it was, uh, it, we had just, you know, a thousand foot overcast, 4,000 foot thick of iced up clouds, uh, wow. for the whole rest of the month. And it's like your, your instrument rating is not going to help you, um, in a, in a single engine piston aircraft within those kind of conditions. You're just, you're just not going to go flying. <laughs> yeah. Winter wasn't so bad down here. Um, I got a lot of, I mean, I really didn't get weathered out for any of my flights, though I may not have, I probably shouldn't have done that night flight. <laughs> um, but other than that, I mean, it was, we had a pretty mild winter after that, uh, we really only had that one snowfall. It wasn't like last year where we had the three feet and then another two feet. We only had 90 so. inches. Yeah. I don't know how y'all do it up there. It snowed 27 days in December. I have no idea how you guys do it up there. (laughs) Wow. I'm sorry. Three inches on the road, people are flipping out down here. It's. You guys don't even bother taking your snow tires off up there, huh? Snow tires aren't legal up here. (laughs) (laughs) They're not legal. Yeah, we can't have them here either. Mm. Um, Yeah. we, we, We have these things called plows. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny when i when i yeah if they ever get to your street right when i well they we have a lot of them we know that this is coming <laughs> my uh my first car was a 19 uh 1979 olds cutlass supreme and i and i had uh, studded oh. snow tires for it 
of course, that was several years back. Sorry, my first car was a 97 Monte Carlo. (laughs) That was seven years old when I got my license. Yeah. Put y'all in your place. (laughs) Children, I swear. No. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm so young. Yeah, do they let you get a ticket that you can drive without your mom and fly without your mom? I know. And I got my... um, I'm sorry. I keep hearing all this stuff about, oh, I got my ticket when I was 17 on my 17th birthday. I'm like, man, I'm like five years late to that party. Yeah. Those those kids drive me nuts that are like on their 16th birthday or whatever they're... Man, I I wanted... I wanted to do that, but there was just no money in my family to do it. I didn't have a job to, that would be able to support it. Oh, yeah. Well, did and you guys I hear really... the pilot cast? Did you hear the pilot cast that came out? They, the the latest one? Yeah, with Tony Condon. Both of them. Both of graduated, them. Graduated college with 2,400 hours. Seriously. <laughs> I graduated college with 13. 2,400? Wow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He was instructing in college. Wow. I, he was in, he was doing 135 flying in college. Yeah. I, I was like, how on earth could you possibly? And he was doing, he was the one that was doing the, um, the uh, en- engineering degree, right? Yeah. Yep. I, I, I yeah, have, so, you know, slacking off at school. <laughs> I, I mean, the computer science was fairly easy where I went, but I still can't imagine Doing a part 135 operation during that time. <laughs> I just, oh my God. That's a fairly hefty education bill right there. Wow. Yeah, but he's getting paid to fly at that point. Yeah, right. Yeah, he was making his living flying. Oh, okay. So, Mark, since you're back, yeah. any news? None whatsoever. I haven't flown since the last uh, podcast. Uh, work has just been insane. How, Weather's kind of on and off. How dare you? How about you? Did you fly? <laughs> Did you guys talk about your flying? Yeah, yeah. I flew a little bit. I talked about it. Brad talked about uh, uh, instrument instrument tra- up on. instrument training. We're all versed in uh, in uh, where Brad is to, uh, is at this point uh, and where he started and so forth. Awesome. So, It'll be a good podca- podcast. Pedcast? It's going to be hell to edit. Pedcast? <laughs> Is that anything like a pepcac? <laughs> yes, exactly. I wonder how many people are going to get that. <laughs> Google it, guys. <laughs> nah, Put don't. I want to... <laughs> Gosh. Loose you know what? Hey, when I, was cr- when I was crewing jets, I actually had one of, one of the guys that I worked with actually wrote that up in the, in the aircraft forms. It was that the pilot wrote up something about, um, force feedback intermittent. And he wrote something like uh, stick actuator repl- re- removed and replaced. <laughs> and he actually put that in the forms that he, he got called on the carpet. And I was like, Oh my God, what are you doing? Stick actuator removed and replaced. That's yeah. good. We got a new pilot. <laughs> Just oh. some of the some of the forms some of the stuff you see, you would see written up in the forms was just like really come on, you know fod in the cockpit, vacuumed up the fod, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, Mark, that's that's like a lot of those uh, 
those old uh, aviation maintenance jokes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, <laughs> number three engine missing, engine found on right, right wing after brief search. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Friction lock causes the throttle levers to stick. Um, that's what they're there for. <laughs> Dead bugs on windshield. Live bugs on order. Nice. <laughs> It's funny how the, uh, the the deputy commander for maintenance, who's usually a lieutenant colonel, doesn't find that very funny in the forms. Yeah, my uh, my neighbor John is uh, works for Southwest uh, in maintenance, and uh, he said, "Yeah, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't uh, get away with that more than one time." <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. This is good. Evidence of leak on right main landing gear. That's right. Solution: evidence removed. That's right. <laughs> That's good. I like I like that the test flight was okay except for the auto land was very rough. Yeah. Auto land's not installed on this aircraft. <laughs> yes. Autopilot in altitude hold mode produces a two hundred foot per minute descent, cannot reproduce problems on ground. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, these are these were complaints submitted by US Air Force pilots and the replies from their maintenance crews. See, it's yep. guys like you, Mark. That's you. right. If you can't have a good time, that was always uh, my one of, one, of, the, uh, notes too. one of one of my uh, one of my favorite lines to especially younger pilots was um, "Don't bend my jet." <laughs> it was always bring my jet back in one piece. Mm-hmm. You're just borrowing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, your jet. It had my name on it. Nice. So did you ever get a ride? Yeah, I did. Oh. <laughs> All the maintenance guys should it, be allowed to get a ride now and again, you know. Yeah, they, they and, do the hard and work. Bread, and Brad, just you know, I I, I crewed F-15s. Ah, uh, so that sounds uh that sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I loved I loved that jet. I did as a kid growing up, and it was just the uh, luck of the draw that uh, when I was in tech school, when they start handing out orders, that my first assignment was to an F-15 squadron. I was like. <laughs> This is meant to be score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. I mean, I would have been happy, you know, working 16s, A10s, whatever. But at the time, they were just phasing out F4s, and that was my as a as a young kid, that was my favorite. And then the 15 came into play. I was like, oh, that thing's awesome. And then to get assigned to one was pretty cool. The F15 is the one that uh, the one that landed without a wing, wasn't it? Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. That was an incredible video. Yeah, I saw that the other day. Oh, Man. did you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the story behind oh. that. I wonder if the guy could see for just a moment the condition of his plane, if he would have still been able to land the plane. Because how how bad would that have just messed with your head? Yeah, I don't <laughs> think I. Oh. He was probably better off not seeing the condition of it and just doing what he could to get it on the ground. I I can definitely see that, but that says a lot about that plane, man. Mm-hmm. Well, it it it, all, it has a uh, it has a lifting body, kind of an it, it is lifting body, but it has a kind of an auto flight control, and and the the massive stabilizers or horizontal stabs, they're so big that all it does is it it kicks down you know just a few degrees and it corrects for what's missing. It's yeah. it's pretty impressive. Yeah, we actually saw that the original video. I was, God, I think I was going through tech school when that happened. And uh, or it had happened a few years before, and uh, we're like, no way that that just happened. And 
He said he felt a huge crunch, obviously, if you lose in your wing. And then he, he kind of caught himself mentally and went, okay, we're still straight and level. All right. Then looked out the looked looked over at his wing and went, "Oh, s." <laughs> yeah, but he couldn't see it, right? Oh, you could see it. You you have you have full full vision back there. Yeah, but I thought I thought when I watched the video, they were saying something about the fact that there was because there was so much stuff pouring out that he couldn't really see the rest of the what was over there. Just with the f- fuel and stuff leaking out. No, that's all behind him. It would have been okay. all behind. So yeah, that's still man. Oh, I can't imagine. Well, hopefully, our buddy Shotgun Fifteen E never has to go through that. Absolutely. Uh, Did you yeah. buy your T-shirts? I need to. Are they it, still available? Yeah, I'm sure the, they and they're 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 pretty badass. Like I got one like right. Yeah, away. I I saw Adam with one when I was in uh in Florida. It's just a matter of I need to wait till I get paid and then I can get one. Where are they at? You guys have a link? I don't remember. Uh, when, uh, from Winty. Winty, yeah. It's it's Winty? Mm-hmm. Okay. The members of the In the Pattern podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with, the instructors they learn from, or the flight schools they attend. Remember, these guys are student pilots, so anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on an aircraft operation is obviously from the perspective of student pilot. You should always consider your own situation, consult your instructor, Remember your training and fly the airplane. Cleared for the option. A recent uh, recent finder of our podcast sent me an email named Ryan, and uh, I'll read it to you real quick. He says, hello, Chris. My name is Ryan, and I recently found your podcast on iTunes, and I thought it would be interesting to listen to a student pilot talk about their journey through flight training. Uh, Well, when I found out you live locally in the Phoenix area and you're doing your training out of Deer Valley, I really got hooked on your podcast because I live out in Surprise. Surprise is not very far away. Just matter of fact, straight up the road, I live on Bell Road, um, and you'll get to Surprise in about 15 minutes. Um, right below the – so he lives out in Surprise, right below the West Valley practice area, uh, which is the area that we would go out to practice in. So all day I hear that awesome sound of plane, plane airplane engines flying over. Um, I also frequent the observation deck out at Deer Valley just to watch planes uh, uh, come in and, uh, and out with my two daughters. So I'm not a pilot, but one day when I uh, when the, when uh, time and funds are right, we know how that is. <laughs> I would uh, I'd love to obtain my private pilot license, but uh, you were talking about the proving grounds out west. So he's talking about the the different uh, uh, proving grounds for the different automakers out there. They've got there's Volvo's out there, uh, Toyota's got one. Um, uh, I don't know if General Motors is out there. Yeah, I think there might be a General Motors one. There's like three or four out in that area. But anyways, uh, he says, um, you're talking about the Proving Grounds out west, and you had mentioned Toyota. And I found that, found that quite funny. As a side job, I'm a paramedic out there, and you and you hit it right on the nose, as uh, they hate when small planes fly, over, <clears throat> fly uh, low over the grounds. Every driver has a two-way radio in the car, and as soon as a plane is spotted, a radio call is made for drivers to park the car in one of several hide shacks or return to the main garage. Uh, they've even gone to the extreme of trying to uh, get tail numbers and report them. I've mentioned to them that the airspace uh, above the property is a training airspace, and the FAA would just laugh when you call. But on a side note uh, of that, we did have a single-engine aircraft a few years ago. Uh, 
a few years ago now have an engine failure emergency and chose to land on the south side of the oval, which is approximately two and a half miles in length and is fairly flat uh, on the straightaways. Uh, well, I just wanted to say hi and like listening uh, to uh, a local person's perspective on flight training so that one day when the time comes, I uh, kind of have an idea of what to, what to expect and I've also checked out many of your YouTube videos and I'm enjoying those as well. Uh, keep up the great work on the podcast. Look forward to future shows. Uh, good luck with the rest of your flight training. Be safe. Um, who knows, maybe one day I'll run into you at Deer Valley. Um, he said one other thing it says my wife uh, or my one thing um, my wife sounds a lot like yours she doesn't understand my passion for aviation or why I'd ever want to pay that much money for a hobby <laughs> <sighs> yep well Ryan we uh, uh, appreciate uh, a new listener and um, hopefully uh, you do get the get the uh, time and the money at the right time uh, to get out there and uh, and get your ticket too it sure is a lot of fun it's a very cool letter yeah it was cool to see we also got some info on Twitter from uh, Bill Will, Bill Williams uh, about uh, Complex. Oh yeah, I remember. And their uh, total misunderstanding about what Complex was. We, and, we finally uh, gotten that straightened out, huh? We did. I was. I always thought it was you either had. And the three that I always thought it was was, um, constant speed prop. Retractable landing gear and Fadec, because I always heard those three together as complex. So I thought if you had any of those, even one, you would be complex. Um, I was un- I, have, I was under that same misinformation. Yes, and since then, except for the, um, except for the Fadec part, I just thought just because it had a constant speed prop, oh, now it's a complex, right? Yeah, see, essentially. Um, so after discussion on Twitter and looking at the FARs, uh, we have since learned <laughs> um, that you have to have – how is it written again? It's a, and, so, it's, it, so it's the 6135E. Yeah, I think I think that's it's what I, tw- I tweeted you that one day. Um, yeah, so it's I, I look at gear – Flaps and a controllable pitch propeller. Nothing to say. Nothing about a constant speed prop, um, or if it's a seaplane, flaps and a controllable pitch propeller. So you need a combination of those of all those to consider. Yeah, the, the word keyword there is and. Yeah, it has to be retractable yeah. gear flaps and a controllable pitch prop. All three. So the one. So the 182 I was flying basically just is categorized as high performance because it has a. Uh, over um, over two, more than two hundred horsepower at two thirty, yeah. Which is another thing I never thought of. Um, the whole uh, high speed thing. I just I never ever thought of a one eighty two as not high speed, uh, high performance. High performance. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. I just never thought of it that. I just always thought of it as a complex, and then I had that entire worldview just crumble. So if it had yeah, if yeah. it had the retracts. You'd be set. Or floats. Or floats. Yes. Which doesn't – see, I don't understand that because a float plane is a separate rating. Mm-hmm. So why would that make it complex? I guess – yeah, I can kind of see it. Oh, I know, I know why. being a separate – I think I know why. Uh, being already a separate thing, I don't necessarily see why it would be. 
Well, you know how a lot of uh, a lot of float planes also have wheels in the floats that you have to uh, retract up. Yeah, it's a, it, the FAR actually says seaplane. It doesn't actually say float plane or uh, uh, air flying boat or what's the other category. Anyway, there's you can be a, you can be just floats, right, with no gear. You can be amphibious, where you have gear and and floats, or you can be a flying boat, where you don't have floats per se. You land on the hull of the of the aircraft. Oh, uh huh, right. And it's just a seaplane, which would encompass all three of those, right? Correct. Yeah. See, that's why. I mean, I can see where that's complex because you're adding the complexity of having the floats on it. Um, I can see that, but what confuses me is the fact that seaplane is already a separate thing. It's a separate uh, uh, certification, yeah. Yeah, which is where I kind of get confused on why it's written that way. I mean, I can see it. It just, you know, it's it's an interesting far, <laughs> as they all end up being. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun to try to parse them out. Oh man, my my. Uh pre-solo test man when i first got into those fars oh that was a fun couple days no it wasn't i was being you know yeah (laughs) you were you were all over that book though it's the most i ever opened that book so so speaking of the fars so speaking of the fars um chris (laughs) oh We've already gone over this. You didn't. We've already gone over this. Okay. Oh, you didn't hear? They eliminated having to do the test altogether. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. It's a (laughs) me and you are set, Mark. Oh, you already took yours. You waste of money. That's right. I did. I believe it's another a whole other podcast later, and somebody still hasn't taken it. I honestly, I have not had any time. (laughs) I uh, I got it within the last um, week. I've studied two hours. A whole two hours. Wow. So we're not staying up late enough. I literally. What does John says? Schedule it. Schedule it. Yeah. I I would literally (laughs) have to. The best thing probably for me would just be to say, "Eh, I'm taking vacation time and just schedule that. Look, just do it and you could be done in a week. I know. That's what I I even told my wife. I said, I honestly, I just need the time I need. You know, don't tell me about the damn yard, (laughs) you know, or. Oh, the yard. The leaky, the leaky, uh, the leaky drain upstairs in the bathroom. You know, uh, I'd love to just like just get this knocked out and then let me focus on anything else. Just you know how expensive it's making your training because the longer your training takes, the more hours you're going to have to spend uh, doing it. Yeah. And uh, if if you just bang it out and get it done, it'll be a lot cheaper. Now, now wait a minute. How, how many hours are you at, Chris? <laughs> um, thirty-six and some change. Yeah. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> so here, let me. I'll give you a, a story that my uh, my instructor gave me. He said that uh, when he was studying for his uh, for the uh, I guess the the written end or the oral for his instrument, he was so crabby because he's he's a he's now a retired fire captain. Oh, we talked about so... we loved crabbing. That's our favorite way to land. Yeah, this is different though. I'm sorry, I thought this it was is... totally different crabbing being from Chesapeake Bay area. Oh so. yeah. Yeah, 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 even different. Wow, <laughs> all over the country, crabby. He was grouchy. Here we go. He was grouchy. So his wife rented a hotel room for him, got him a rental car in uh, in San Jose, and said, "Here, 
don't come back until you've passed. So she kicked him out of the house because he had wow. to focus so much on study. If they're divorced, I might uh, marry her. No, I was no, no. going to say, I, I, I need to get my girlfriend Sign like up that. <laughs> for that deal. Yeah. She told him, just, just go do it. Get it out of your, get it out of your system, and then, uh, then we'll move on. So I thought that was the coolest thing. That is awesome. In a totally weirdly awesome way. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who gets it. I lied. I'm at 39.7. Well then, there. You got three, you got three hours. tenths of an hour, and you're and you're done. Yeah. Can I get Can I get three hours of hood work and a check ride and three? <laughs> Dude, either Actually, way. I heard of one guy who he he showed up for his check ride with 38.9 hours, <laughs> and the time that it took him to do his check ride got him over 40, and he was done. Oh my gosh. Wow. I didn't know they'd let you have a check ride with less than 40. Yeah, I didn't either. I guess it's still technically kill- no, considered No, because you don't have your private yet. Yeah. It counts well, as... It's, it's still dual instruction or, or instruction, no, I guess. No, it's... It's it's not instruction because you're PIC, but... Oh, yeah. well, yeah. It's well, see, solo. I, I, it's, I, was it's, just, I was just told yeah. that, that you when you go to take the check ride, that you're considered a private pilot unless you screw up bad enough that he starts writing out the pink slip. Well, that's a mental thing at that point. Yeah. When they say yeah. that, but you're not a private pilot until he signs gives it off. the temp thing. But he's treating you as a private pilot at that point. That that, that's right. the mental distinction you have to make there. So do you legally do you, you're not? Do you write that? Do you write that uh, in your logbook as PIC? Well, you are PIC. huh? Yes. No, it's you. You are PIC. That is not dual. But he also wrote in my logbook a basically a thing at that point that said that um, there was a check ride and he signed me off for it. He like wrote all in that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you log it as PIC. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Thought I heard that. Somewhere. And that that he explains in the oral. I mean, my my DPE was like, look, you are PIC for this flight. You know, I am there as a passenger. Now, I'm an experienced passenger. <laughs> you know, he did put that in there, too, because in certain situations, I mean, that does make a difference. But he explicitly explained the fact that he was a passenger. And he did – I did ask him to hold something, and he did say no. Well, I would have, too. Now, some TPEs are, are, will help you in that way. Some <laughs> won't. I was trying to make a bad joke out of that. <laughs> And then he yelled at me for not using the autopilot. <laughs> you guys have any shout-outs? Hi, Mom. Anything? I got a shout-out to uh, Larry Overstreet for responding to my It's Gonna Be a Good episode with I Can't Wait to Hear It. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I see your It's Gonna Be Good and raise you and I Can't Wait to Hear It <laughs> with the hashtags. That's Thanks great. for all the hard work and loving it. Thank you, Larry. Well done, Larry. You can reach all of us at In The Pattern Podcast at podcast at inthepatternpodcast.com. On Twitter is In The Pattern. So my transponder group for In The Pattern Podcast. And lastly, you can find us on iTunes as In The Pattern Podcast. You can reach me, John, at john at inthepatternpodcast.com. Or on Twitter and my transponder as Pilot Conway. Chris? Yeah, you can uh, find me at chris at inthepatternpodcast.com as well. On Twitter at uh, C-H-O-L-U-B-A-Z, that's C-H-O-L-U-B-A-Z. 
and uh, my transponder is also C-Hola-Bay-Z. And Mark? Yeah, you can find me at Mark at InThePatternPodcast.com, Student Pilot Mark on Twitter, and M. Lacoste on my transponder. Give us a shout. I'm Brad Kane. You can reach me on Twitter at uh, Bravo Romeo Alpha Delta Kilo Oscar Echo Hotel November. And lastly, if you'd like, you can leave us a text message or a voicemail. The phone number is 707-PCAST-01. That's 707-PAPA-CHARLIE-ALPHA-SIERRA-TANGO-01. Well, that wraps up this episode of the In the Parent Podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Remember, make left traffic. You're cleared for the option. shows at the Aviation Podcast Network. TheVoicesInYourHead.com Sure, well, you got your first blooper out of the way. It's uh, Brad Kane, actually. Kane? uh, (laughs) K-O-E-H-N is Kane? Yep. (laughs) Take two. Oh, Mark back? <laughs> Mark's just back. Got back. <laughs> hey, welcome back, Mark. Sorry, guys. We thought so, you were just really quiet. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I literally, it took me freaking hour. If it was at the school that they normally practice at, I would have been back in 25 minutes. This was on the other side of town. I look at the email. I'm like, oh, sh- I got to go. Shucks. Yeah. Oh, say it. I'll put in the freaking, uh, what is it? The horn? Ro- the stall horn? A rooster crowing? <laughs> and... <laughs> Throw people off the road. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, you just about got me. I thought I was in a spin. It was, it, yeah, time. it was you, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. I was like pushing so, forward on the steering wheel and stomping on the accelerator to try to prevent the spin. The stall horn came on. That was the funniest <laughs> so tweet I think I've gotten since we've done this podcast. <laughs> that was good. Thank you for that. That gave me a really good laugh. <laughs> It's a heck of a dog that gets cooked food, though. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, she gets mashed potatoes, cooked ground turkey, and green beans in the microwave. Holy crap. Yeah, my kid, my, my kids don't eat that well. I know. <laughs> well, Jeez, yeah, dog we, food was her. Only just to eat what the other dog threw up. I mean, <laughs> if only there was a way to find websites on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I didn't want to just go Googling that, you know? Who knows what I would come up with. You know you're going to end up with porn. Seriously. Roll 34. Especially with that guy. (laughs) Man, this is going to be a mess to edit. So shall we we, uh, cut our losses and uh, get out of here? Well, last time I wanted to get it, I literally... I had driven 16 hours. I got to Florida and I edited the podcast. <laughs> I just want to state that. <laughs> that was my my 16-hour drive. I got there. I was tired as anything. And I was like, you know what? I need to get this out before the shuttle launch. What else do you have to do? <sighs> yeah, like sleep. Anticipation.
since I had to get up at three in the morning. <laughs> and, and watch the shuttle sit there on the pad.